Welcome to Destiny Church's weekly podcast. We're a church located in Columbia, Maryland, right between D.C. and Baltimore. And we're so glad that you decided to listen to our podcast. If you're looking for a message of hope, purpose, and destiny, then you're tuned into the right place. If you have any testimonies of what God has done in your life as a result of listening to this podcast, please email us at stories at yourdestiny.church. We love to hear how God is impacting people's lives through what he is doing at our church. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear from God as we jump into this week's message. All right, here we go. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor of Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are suddenly next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Just to catch you up, there was a nation called Israel. They went into Egypt with just 12 families. Over four years, 400 years, that'll be a long time, four years, 400 years, those 12 families turned into over 3 million people. God sent Moses to set them free, and they came out of Egypt, and they passed through the Red Sea, and every battle they faced, they won. And it became word around town that God is with this nation, and you can't do anything to stop them. I wish I had some believers in this room that understood that God is with you, and because God is with you, there is nothing that can stop you. So this king named Balak, he's like, well, I can't fight them face up because I'm going to get whooped. So let me try to sneak attack. Let me try to curse them so that they end up destroying themselves. Verse 22, and it says this, then God's anger was aroused because he went, Balaam went to curse Israel. And the angel of the Lord took a stand in the way as an adversary against Balaam. And he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hands, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back on the road. This is the Antipedic chapter. (sighs) Verse 27, it says this, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord again, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey said to Balaam, pause. (laughs) Wives, please don't elbow your husband. You have to be some type of stubborn, hard-headed man that God has to make a donkey talk to get your attention. The donkey said, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, pause. Because you see, we skip over stuff in the Bible and act like it's normal. A donkey talking to Balaam, that's a problem. Balaam responding to the donkey, oh, you some type of crazy right there. Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would have killed you. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours? He said, bro, we go way back. Why are you trying to kill me? You know what this passage doesn't tell me? What were the servants doing while this conversation with the donkey was going on? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And Balaam said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on his 
Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful. God, that you've given us something to build our lives on. And God, you said that your kingdom is unshakable. So God, we pray even now, dear God, that as we're building upon you, God, you'd give us the same favor as Israel. You'd give us the same open doors as Israel. God, that the word around town would be that the grace of God is on each and every one of our lives. God, speak to us in this moment, we pray. I'm not going to lie, God, it's a little awkward praying after the Ravens game is over, but I don't know the score, so by faith I'm going to believe that you've done it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody say amen and amen. He probably didn't do it. Don't yell the score back at me. High five two people. Ask somebody what you scared of. Come on, ask somebody, ask somebody, ask somebody, ask somebody, ask somebody, ask somebody. Hallelujah. We're in week three of this series called, What Are You Afraid Of? What Are You Afraid Of? And before we jump into it, I, I was just thinking, you know, I, I always start a message with a pointless story. I don't really have a story today, but I was just kind of thinking about one of my many issues. And uh, <laughs> one of my many issues is I don't like to allow other people to drive me. Am I the only person that if, if I'm in a car, I'm driving, come on now, I'm going to drive, and then you're going to sit there, come on now, and you're going to be happy, and you'll be safe, and all that, and, and I try to pull the gentleman's card with my wife, you know, like, what kind of man would, like, let his wife, like, drive as he just sits in it, and if you're that man, God bless you, you're great, you just don't have issues like me, and I'm just like, I got this under control, and, and my wife was like, do you have a problem with women driving you? <laughs> don't look at me like that, y'all like, well, well. And I'm not going to lie, at first I was like, maybe I do have a problem with him driving me. Maybe I'm a chauvinist. Maybe I need to take deliverance to the cross. Maybe what's going on? And then I realized it's not that I have an issue with women driving me. It's just anybody driving me. I actually got back from a flight and I was at the airport and I jumped in an Uber and, and took it home. And I knew I had a problem when I get in the Uber and the Uber driver punches in their phone my address. And I pull out my phone and I punch in my own address. Am I the only one? Yes, you're not going to kidnap me. You're not going to chop me up and leave me from seven different states. I'm going to monitor this drive. <laughs> so I'm in the Uber, and the Uber's driving, and, and, you know, we're in the fast lane, and we're driving, and my exit's on the right side. And as the Uber driver's driving, and they don't look like they're getting ready to merge over into my lane. So, you know, I'm giving them some grace. We believe in grace. We're Christians, and give them a little bit of time. But, but we pass the margin in which he can actually make the turn with a safe amount of, of speed. So I say, hey, uh, excuse me, that, that's my exit there. And the Uber driver's go, well, um, my GPS says that there's traffic on that road, and, 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 and that it'll be faster this way. And I said, oh. Yeah, mine says the same thing. Okay. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> we go about another three or four miles, and we pass another road that was my road. I say, hey, hey that, that's the road that I normally take. And he said, well, 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 this seems to be a faster way. And I'm like, okay, I see that. Continue. I said it like two more times. The fourth time I corrected him, he was so gracious. He's probably more Christian than I am. He's there driving. He's like, um would you like me to follow the GPS or do you just want to give me instructions? <laughs> I was like, message received, okay? And guess what, y'all? He actually got me home without my help. Like, I was shocked. I didn't think he could do it, but he got me home without my help. You guys are judging me. You probably think I'm a control freak. That's what Freedom Conference is for. I'll be there with you. But here's what I am. I'm very particular on who I allow to drive me. 
I'm just weird. I'm just like, if I'm going to crash, it's going to be me. If we're going to go see Jesus, it's going to be at my hands. It's not going to be you. I'm just a little bit particular on who's driving me. And I'd like to submit to you today at this 4 o'clock service <laughs> that maybe, just maybe, you need to be a little bit more particular on who you allow to drive you. Or can I say it this way? On what you allow to drive you. You realize we are all driven. Can, can, can I say it this way? All of us have a motivation. There, there's no such thing as pure motives. There's always a reason behind everything that we do or everything that we don't do. There is a motive behind the way that we raise our children. There's a motive behind the way we interact with other people. There's a motive behind why we go to work and how we conduct ourselves at work. There's a motive behind everything. Uh, I, I, we're in Howard County now, but I grew up in Baltimore. Any Baltimore folks? Baltimore. Hey, Baltimore. <laughs> and and, and, and I, I, not only did I grow up in Baltimore, but I didn't travel much before after college. So, so when the whole New Orleans um, Katrina floods came, me and a bunch of our college folks went down and actually helped them clean up. And, and it was my first time down south. And I wasn't used to southern hospitality. I'm from Baltimore. So we had a little bit of a break. Oh, my gosh, that's a long story for another day. I've never told that story. The day I spent four days in a FEMA tent and ate mystery meat. Oh, my gosh, it was a different story. But anyway, we had a little bit of a break of cleaning out people's houses, and we were walking around town, and I'm walking down the street, and, and this brother walks by me. He's like, what's up, man? And I'm like, what's up? And he kept walking, and I'm like, I guess there ain't nothing up. Okay, cool. Then I keep on walking, and somebody else is like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, and as soon as they go, I'm checking for my wallet. Do I have my cell phone? I'm from Baltimore. We don't speak. Like, why are you talking to me? I'm just like, what's your angle? What do you want? From there is a motive behind everything. And it's amazing how we always think all of our motives are pure. You ever, you ever been in an argument with someone and, and you're like, well, you did this and you did that and you did this? And then they said, well, you did this and you did that. And what happens when you get accused? Your first thing out of your mouth, or at least the first thing you say is, well, here's why I did it. Hey, I might have done something wrong, but my motives were good. It's amazing how we judge other people by their actions. But we judge ourselves by our intentions. Well, I mean, it didn't come across right, but our motives. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse 2. It says, we can justify our every deed. I, I had this thought, and I'll come back to this verse. I've realized that I have not matured past the age of my three-year-old daughter. <laughs> if you want to know the majority of your pastor, maturity of a pastor, it's your three-year-old girl. Because every time I talk to Zoe, and it's usually when Roman's crying or screaming, he's my one-year-old, and I said, Zoe, why did you snatch that from him? Zoe, why did you push him over? She will always have a good reason. <laughs> Daddy, I pushed him over because he was tired and he didn't want to walk anymore. <laughs> the Bible says you're the same way. It says we can justify our every deed, but God looks at our motives. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to see yourself prophetically in the back seat of an Uber car. And I just want to know who's in the driver's seat. Who's driving the decisions of your life? Could it be that your driver's name is fear? 
Could it be that the main motivations in your life is who you're afraid of becoming, of how you're afraid of ending up? of the situation that you don't want to be. And unbeknownst to you the entire time, it's been fear that's driving you. I'm going to give you three quick thoughts. If you have your sermon notes doing your worship guide, if you can pull them out. And many people don't know what the sermon notes are for. You think it's for you taking notes. It's not quite. It's so more so so that I can end the message on time. Because when I look out and I see you writing notes, I'm like, oh, they're getting it. They're getting it. And the message gets shorter and shorter and shorter. But then when I see you just staring like this, I'm like, oh, they don't understand, so I have to go longer and longer. So you determine the length of this service. Uh, the first thing I want you to write down is this. Every mission has a driver. Every mission has a driver. Or say it this way, every decision you make has a motivation. But not every motivation is a good motivation. In this passage that we read, this prophet by the name of Balaam, he was the mouthpiece of God. And Balak came to him and he said, hey, I need you to curse this nation Israel because they are coming too much for us and there's nothing we can do about it. I wish, this is going to sound weird, I wish as Christians we can learn to see ourselves the way that the enemy sees us. Because he's intimidated. He knows that there's nothing that he can do to stop us. The only thing that he can do to stop us is to try to distract us and to get us abandoned what God has called us to. He said, man, I can't do anything about this. And Balaam said, no, that's God's people. I can't touch them. And then Balak said, that's cool. I'll pay you. Balaam says, well, when you put it that way, how much? Can I ask you a question? What's your price? What's your price? What's the price that the enemy has to pay you to get you to abandon God's plan for your life? And it's so funny because the, the, the second that comes up, we start talking like Peter. I would never deny you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, uh, before the night's out, you're going to pretend like you didn't know me three times. And, and here's the reason. Why? Because we think there is no amount of money that would make me abandon God. I didn't say your price was monetary. For some of us, our price is a relationship. That we will be faithful to God as long as we can be faithful to him and hold on to this relationship. But the second being a child of God and honoring him is jeopardizing this relationship is the second it's just like, ugh, I don't know. Or maybe we'll be faithful to God as long as it doesn't hurt the trajectory of our career. Or I'll be faithful to God as long as he doesn't mess up the plans that I have for my life. But the second there's a fork in a road and it looks like God goes this way and my plans go that way, then all of a sudden that's my price. Do you know that you could sit in church every Sunday and have sold out on Christ? Because it's not the, 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 the physical location where you are, but it's the location of your heart. Wow. Bal Balaam said, okay, you're going to pay me? Well... I mean, if they're really God's people, he'll protect them, so let's see what happens. <laughs> Balaam probably got in his mind, but you know all the good that I could do with this money? Like, I could take care of my kids and my grandkids. I'll even tithe. You can't tithe off of blood money. Are you crazy? He's like, there's so much good that I can do. He had no idea. He thought he was looking to make a profit. Yeah. He had no idea that it truly was fear that was the driving engine behind his journey. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by a man's face or his height, for this is not the one. I don't make decisions the way you do. Men judge by outward appearance, but I look at a man's thoughts and his 
intentions. Do you know it's possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason? And we feel justified because we did the right thing. Here's the problem. The right thing for the wrong reason will end in destruction, not in a blessing. For example, and this is just me, and this is not theology, this is just Stephen, and if you're different from me, that's okay. One of the things that frustrates me is when people say, I want to give back. If you give back, God bless you, that's great. But, but it's just, just, I don't like that phrase. Y'all look like y'all really like that phrase, because you're just like, <laughs> I've been giving back my whole life. Like, you're just ruining all my... Here's my, just, just, just my pet peeve. I feel like people, when they say I want to give back, they're like, you know, I've been so blessed and I've done so much and all that other good stuff that, 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 that I want to make sure that I don't feel like I've forgotten where I've come from. And I don't want to feel like I am I'm better than other people. And I don't want to feel like I'm high and mighty or whatever. So let me go and give back. Here's the thing. Generosity was never based on how I felt. It was always based on who I could be a blessing to and how I can serve them. And I could be generous and it'd be all about me. Huh? You can do great things for your kids for the wrong reason. Huh? I want to make sure that my kid's in karate and is in soccer and is in ballet and is in bands and this. And, and I want to make sure that my kid never has these type of shoes, that they always have name brand shoes, or they're this or they're that or whatever it may be. And none of that is bad. All of that is great. Your child is blessed. Are you adopting? Because that sounds like a really good life. But if you kind of boil it down, what's the motivation behind that? That I don't want my kids to end up like, like what? Like the way your parents raised you? like the struggles that you face. Can I give you the difference between fear and faith? Fear motivation is always something that you're running from. Faith is always something that you're running to. Let's just hang out at the kids thing. I'm not raising my kids a certain way because I don't want them to end up like fill in the blank, uneducated, disrespectful, whatever it may be. I'm raising my kids the way that I'm raising them because I see what God can do in their lives and, and who he's called them to be. I'm not running from something, I'm running to something. And without even realizing it, most of us can't even remember when fear jumped in our Uber. Fear has been driving us for so long, we can't even re Here's the most dangerous thing about fear. We call it normal. We actually call it wisdom and prudence. Huh? Let's take money, for example. I find that in everything in life, money is one of them, that there's not too many neutral people. There's just extremes. So you have the extreme over here of people, I don't care about money. Money's dumb, I have all my needs taken care of, it doesn't mean anything to me. Matter of fact, people who care about money, they're materialistic and they're greedy and they don't have the heart of God and I don't even know how they call themselves Christians. Please take your nose down. <laughs> then there's the other extreme of people who like, well, bump you when you need to get your lights paid, don't call me because I'm actually going to make sure that I have more than enough. I'm going to make sure that I'm blessed, I'm going to make sure that I'm this and I'm that and all that other good stuff. Neither of them are right, neither of them are wrong to a certain extent, right? But when you track it back to that person's history, and I hate to say this, normally family. That person that says, I don't care about money, let's track this back. Why not? Well, because grandma or grandpa or mom and dad, they were focused on money. 
And because they were focused on money, they missed some integral parts in my life. And they missed some times when I really, really needed them. And I don't want to be that to my kids. So I'm not going to allow money to put me in that situation. The money was never the issue. But you picked up a fear. The, the, the people that's like, oh, it's so important. It's the most important thing in my life or whatever it may be. Oftentimes, it's the same thing. Maybe you grew up without and you said, I am never going to end up like. Or maybe your parents drilled into you over and over and over again that money is safety. Money is safety. If you don't have it, you're not safe. The whole time, it's a fear that's driving you. And here's the problem with fear. Fear will always take more from you than it gives to you. So the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me give you the New International Stephen version. Change what you call normal. Like, leave this verse up. I'll come right back to it in a second. Do you realize that what the world calls normal is not what a Christian should call normal? Like, there is a way of processing life without the favor of God on your life. And the Bible says that when you come into Christ, you got to change the way that you think. Because if not, fear will drive you instead of the covering of God in your life. It says when you change the way that you think, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The second thing is this, and you can write this down. Well, how do I find those areas of fear in my life? Constant roadblocks are a sign. Like, if you're trying to figure out, and I was just talking to somebody, and they said, well, well, how do I know what my motivation is? How do I know if it's fear? How do I know if it's this? Two things to remember. One thing is this. God doesn't play games. God's not going to allow fear to rest in your life and him not make it, I hate to say it this way, painfully obvious. Like every time you sit in church, you're going to hear the Holy Spirit saying, you going to deal with that yet? Are you going to deal with that yet? He's talking to you. What do you want me to do? Put your name on the projector screen? Like, like he will make it that obvious. And then the other thing is he'll show you sign after sign after sign. One of the signs that you're being driven by fear is when you're constantly hitting into a roadblock. That this area of my life, it doesn't matter what I do, but I can't seem to make progress. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe you said two years ago, I'm going to pay off this credit card. I'm done living month to month. And two years later, you find yourself in the same situation. Maybe you're married or have a relationship with your mom or dad or whatever it may be or whoever it is. And you just find yourself having the same argument time after time after time after time. And you don't seem to be able to push through it. I'm telling you, there is a sign there that there's a fear that's driving you. Fear makes you irrational. Fear blinds you from seeing what's actually going on. Fear is what had Balaam driving towards an angel with a sword in its hand. Now, let me just pause here because you may not know this. Um, it's not good when an angel has a sword. There are not many times in the Bible when an angel had a sword in its hand. Remember when the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to give birth to Jesus? No sword. Remember when Peter was in prison and the angel came and set him free? No sword. Jacob is running from Esau and he has that dream and there's a, a staircase and there's hundreds of angels walking up and down from heaven. No sword. 
The only time there was a sword in an angel's hand one time was when they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Angel, sword, don't come back. <laughs> Tracking with me? Angel, sword, not a good thing. Look at this. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says this. All of you, somebody say, that's me. Clothe yourself with humility. And I need to pause here and I'll come back to the verse. You can leave it on. The Bible says to clothe yourself because no one's born with it. We think there are humble people and prideful people. No, there are people people. And some people, when they put on their pants and their socks and their shoes, they decide to put on humility. And then other people leave that part of their wardrobe home. Humility is a decision. And Peter said, make sure you don't leave home without it. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, I, I used to play football back before how much you weighed actually mattered. So it was like Pop Warner football. And I, I played in those days before this whole concussion conversation was going on. So when I played football, Randalltown Panthers stand up, what do you know? I guess you don't know. Okay, cool. <laughs> we would do these things called Oklahomas. Come on now, there's a real football player. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They <laughs> Y'all must be 90s and 80s babies because that's when they didn't care about our brains. But they would take the same team and break them up onto two sides. And it'd be defensive offense. And one guy would have a ball and the other guy wouldn't. And they'd make you lay back on your back. And then they would blow a whistle. And when you had a whistle, you would hop up. And y'all, this, this, this is why my SAT scores were what they were. You would run at the person, put your head down, and just try to run them over. They would try to run you over. Now, y'all can see what I weigh, so what would normally happen is I'd get ran over, flattened, the guy would look at me, step over me, and I'd sit there laying on the ground thinking, why didn't I play soccer? <laughs> but here's the thing. It, it, it it's kind of doesn't make sense for the same team to play against each other. But something about our egos and practice, we would try to murder the other guy when come Saturday, he's on our team. When the Bible says that God opposes the proud, we have this mindset that if we want to do our own thing, God steps out of the way and says, well, go ahead. If you want to live ratchet, go live ratchet. Let me know how it works out for you. No, no, no. That's not what happens. God says, oh, you want to do things your own way? Bring it. Oppose means to work against. Sometimes we have this mindset that it's the enemies that's blocking me. It's amazing. By the way, this is just a pop question, but everybody will have the right answer. How many people are grateful that your life is not in the Bible? <laughs> I am so glad that there is no book of Stephen. Like, we laugh at different people in the Bible the whole time. If my life was in the Bible, there'd be a whole lot of messages on what not to do. We look at Balaam, and he said, how dumb is he blaming a donkey? The donkey's not his problem. But the reality is some of us are blaming things for our lack of progress, and that's not our problem. We, we, we blame our spouse. We blame the economy. We blame the current administration. We blame racism. We blame sexism. We blame classism and all the other isms and schisms and all this other kind of stuff. Here's the only problem. The Bible says that if God be with me, who can be against me? Y'all miss that. I'll come over here. They're more spiritual over here. The Bible says that if God is with me, who can be against me? Yeah. That means the fact that I'm a Christian means I've given up my excuse. Yeah. 
Is there racism? Yes. Is there classism, sexism, all that other kind of stuff? Yes, but biblically that can't block me. Because God says if he's for me that there's nothing that can stand against me. The favor of God is on my life. That can't keep me back. So if I'm kept back, that's not the problem. What's the problem? Can I tell you something crazy? It's God that's blocking you. That angel with the sword in his hand, that was from heaven, not from hell. Like it was God that was blocking Balaam on his, this is, this will mess you up. This will make you go home and read your Bible. It could be God that's blocking that relationship. It could be God that's blocking your business or blocking your finances or whatever I mean. Why in the world would God be blocking me? Because God understands that the right thing for the wrong reason is a curse to your life. We think that God is blocking us and keeping us from things because we, 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 he doesn't want me to have any fun. God, God doesn't want, God just wants me to be holy and, and to lead other people to Jesus and that's it. No, 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 no. Here's why God was blocking Balaam. He was saving his life. Can we have, you want to have a little Bible study real quick? Okay, nation of Israel, somebody say three million people. Well, they actually came from a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Israel. He was a servant of God. The only problem is he was unable to have children with his wife, Sarah. They went 75 years with no kids. At 75 years, God promised them they would have a child, and they had to wait another 25 years. They didn't have a child together until they were 100. And God says, because you were faithful and you trusted me, you're not just going to have one kid, but that kid is going to turn into a nation. That kid turned into the nation of Israel. And God says, because you're full of faith, blessed is everyone that blesses you, Abraham, and all your children. Watch this. And cursed is everyone who curses you and all of your kids. Here's why God was blocking Balaam, because God understood it's impossible to curse a child of God. So many people that come to pastor, I don't know, I think somebody like, like, like brought a curse on me or something like that. I took off my in-laws or this happened or that happened. And I always say this, it's impossible for a Christian to be cursed. Because the Bible says that no ill-spoken curse can rest on a believer. Don't live paranoid, don't live afraid, don't let, doesn't matter who says what. You can stick pins into whatever you want, all you want. I am uncursable because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Not only that, biblically... If someone tries to curse a follower of God, that curse bounces back on. So Balaam was like, get out of my way. I'm going to go make some money. God says, no, no, no. If you get to where you're going with fear being your motivation, what you're trying to bring on somebody else will actually fall back on you. We think that God is blocking us from what I want. And God is saying, I'm blocking you from your own destruction. Because if you get to what you want with the wrong motives... God says it'll end up destroying you. God says, I'll get you there, but we got we to gotta deal with your why first. The last thing is this, and you can write this down. Sometimes it's the right destination, but the wrong mission. The right destination, but the wrong mission. It says this in, in verse 34, and Balaam said to the angel, so let me catch you up with the story. So, so Balaam is like beating this donkey, and he's having this conversation with the donkey. Listen, you got to understand, you're way off. You're, you're, this is before we had any of these drugs that we have today. So this brother was talking to animals. This wasn't Dr. Doodle. Like, like, he was losing it. 
He's having this conversation with this donkey, and then all of a sudden, God opens his eyes, and he sees this angel with a sword in its hand, getting ready to return the curse that Balaam's trying to send. By the way, there's nowhere in Scripture where Balaam apologized to the donkey, and that's a problem, because that donkey saved your life, but we'll figure that out later. But when Balaam's eyes were open, it's amazing how ambition can blind you. It's none of us in this room. It's everybody at the 1230 service. <laughs> but you ever met somebody, and pardon my French if this offends you, but who is hell-bent on doing something, and everybody around them is like, that's not smart. Like, that's really dumb. But they've convinced themselves that this is the smartest thing in the world. What happened? They're blinded by their own ambition. And when Balaam's eyes were open and he saw the perilous situation he was in, here's what he said in verse 34. It says, Balaam said to the angel, I have, come on, yell it back at me, I have, I have a question for you. When's the last time you said those words to God? God, I blew it. God, I'm, I was off track. Can, can I help you out here? Those three words are what repentance is. And repentance is not just for unbelievers. God, I've sinned. I shouldn't have responded to my wife that way. God, I've sinned. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have stolen the tithe. God, God I've sinned. I, have, I, I shouldn't have overlooked that person or whatever. He said, God, I have sinned. For I did not know you stood. Some of us need to pray this prayer. God, I thought it was my husband that was getting in my way. I thought it was my wife. I thought it was that I have three kids under three years old. I thought it was my degree. I thought, it. God said, no, 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 no. I have sinned, and God, I didn't realize it was you standing against me. Now listen to his humility. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I'll turn back. He said, I'll give up the whole mission. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go, no, no, go, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Listen to me. Take about 10 seconds, and if you could change anything in your life for the good, what would it be? You don't have to say that, but just think about it. Like, like, like would it be your bank account? Add a zero, add two. Would it be your relationship with your mom or your dad or a child or, or a coworker? Would it be a sickness in your body? Would it be your career? If you could change anything in your life right now, what would it be? Can you listen to me? God wants that same thing for you. Like we've believed this lie from the enemy that God is just worried about the whole world getting saved and he doesn't care anything about the actual needs of my life and I'm here to fend for myself. Listen, you didn't dream that dream. God gave you that dream. You didn't come up with that idea. God gave you that idea. God wants it for you. Balaam, Balaam said, God, I didn't realize that I was working to get you. I'll go back home. And God said, no, don't go back home. I always wanted you to go. You were just going for the wrong reason. God wants you to have what you want. But he can't let you have it when you have the wrong motivation. Man, I really want, you to, or I really want to get married. God really wants you married. He just can't let you have it as long as you find your identity in marriage. Man, God, I really want to have kids. He really wants you to have kids. He just can't let you have it as long as that's where you find your identity. God, I want this business to blow up. God, I want to stand on platforms. God says, I want all that for you. But first, we have to deal with your motives. Funny story that's a little bit too transparent, but it's 4 o'clock, so we could tell it here. I, uh, probably one of the biggest frustrations in my 32 years is, is that I got, um, 
I got married four years after I was planning on getting married. Like, at 22 years old, I was ready to get married. I'm like, look, okay, I'm waiting for marriage. God, I'm burning. Like, you need to bring my wife. Like, <laughs> pray for a Christian brother. But anyway, <laughs> I graduated college. I was out for a year. I was 22. I had my own place. I was a year away from starting the church. And I'm like, God, what's up? Like, let's go. And there was no wife anywhere. And, and, and I said in my mind, I said, I'm not going to date any of the girls at Destiny Church because if I date any of the girls at Destiny Church and then we break up, that's called a church split. Y'all going to talk about me. Y'all ain't going to respect me. So I'm like, no, we just ain't going to go. I'm not going to start that trouble. So I was just like, if they're at the church, they're off limits. So I went to every single worship night <laughs> that every church in the entire DMV ever had. I mean, I tell you, there's a lot of great churches in Maryland. I know I've been to them all. Baptist, Methodist, AME, Holiness, Episcopal, I didn't care. I was there, hands lifted. God, I love you. <laughs> Is it her? Is it her? Is it her? Okay, maybe not. And it's like the more that I looked, the less options there were. I'm not saying I ain't dated anybody, but they were all crazy. Pray for them. <laughs> you know how you Christian girls are. But anyway, <laughs> this is 4 o'clock. Can, can I go a little bit further than I would know if they're going to 1230? This is how you Christian girls be. You'll be like, <laughs> thank you, come on. You'll be like, hey, would you like to go out to dinner? Did you receive a prophecy from the Lord? <laughs> I don't need a prophecy. I got cash. Do you want to go out? <laughs> Did you pray and fast for 21 days about if you're allowed to ask me for my number? No. <laughs> This one ain't making YouTube, but anyway. <laughs> so for four years, I'm just like, ah. And it turned from, you know, there's something like, I just don't want to be lonely. I want to marry or whatever it may be. Then it turns into, oh my gosh, the pressure that I'm under is too much for me to bear by myself. Like what God's called me to build, I can't build it by myself. Like I, I got all spiritual. God, I need a help me. <laughs> God, I need favor from the Lord. And the more that I wanted it, the less options I had. And I'm going to fast forward the story. Here's what happened. Marriage became a God for me. You know, we all say we would never worship idols. But an idol is anything that we give more attention to than we give to God. And I remember when God showed me, hey, this has become an idol in your life. You care about that more than you care about my call on your life. And I remember I came to this point where I said, God, if I never get married, don't, I'm not that spiritual, hold on. Like, ooh, that's good. No, no, it ain't. I said, God, if I never get married, I'm going to be ticked off. But God, I surrender. That's an honest prayer. I ain't going to be happy about it. But God, it's not my life, but it belongs. I am okay with whatever you have for me. True story. I pray that prayer. Eight weeks later, my mom comes to me and says, what do you think about this girl's eye? And I said, she's fine, but she go to the church. I'm not dating her. And my mom said, if you don't date that girl, you are crazy. <laughs> now, what my mom didn't know, y'all laugh about this one, that I actually seen Zai the day she walked in two years prior. And I was like, oh, God, she's fine, but she is at church, so no. <laughs> Six months before my mom said it, I was like Instagram stalking her. You know, when, you, know you stalkers know when you're like on her feed and you're just like... <laughs> 
I was three years into her history. Like, it's freshman year in high school, and I'm just, I'm just scrolling. And don't look at me like that. Y'all some Instagram stalkers in here, and you know that when you scroll, you got to scroll and pause. Because if you scroll too fast, it becomes a click, and then you... So I ended up liking one of her pictures from like three years ago, and I unliked it real quick, but she still saw it. I'm just like, bust it. It was so bad. It was so, it was so bad. <laughs> Pray for me. Mama was like, look, if you don't date this girl, you're, you're crazy. Now, now watch this, and I'll, I'll land this plane here. The reason why I didn't want to date any of the girls in the church, can I be honest, is because I was afraid of messing up. I ain't gonna act like these other pastors. I ain't gonna go out like that. You don't gonna catch me slipping up about me. No, 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 no. And without even realizing it, I allowed fear to be my motivation. And it sounded good. Oh, look how holy the pastor is. He's keeping himself. And he, no, 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 no. It was driven by fear. And I'm not calling my mom a donkey. I'm just saying that she came and said, Stephen, you're missing it. Open your eyes. It's right in front of you this entire. She was at the church for two years before we went on one date. Like, watch this. I'm angry at God because he hasn't sent my spouse. And she's sitting three chairs down from me. Serving on the First Impressions team, welcoming people, having them coming in the door, taking notes at church. I'm mad at God. And God's like, you dummy, she right there. You just can't see her because you all caught up in God says, I want what you want, but I cannot let fear be your motivation. Because here's why. When fear is my motivation, when I finally get what I want, I put more pressure on that thing than it was designed to be able to uphold, and I end up destroying the exact thing that I wanted. Are we going to dive in since it's 4, 4 p.m. service? Well, I need to get married because I don't really feel like a man until I'm married. Wow. Well, if you're counting on that woman to make you feel like a man, you're going to put more pressure on her than she was designed to carry. She's not designed to make you feel like a man. You should have shown up as a man already. <laughs> and when we find our identity in these things, God says, you have a foundation that's just one storm away from being shaken. Because identity found in anything outside of me will not uphold you. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge and he shall direct your path. God, I trust you. God, I trust your timing. And God, I trust that you are in control. The moment that you not just pray the prayer, but your heart really is God, if nothing goes my way, I still trust you, is the second that God can say, yes, now I can trust you with all that I've had for you. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful. God, we're grateful. God, that even sometimes you block us from our own destruction. God, I pray right now that you would open our eyes in the spiritual, that we can see, God, those motivations of fear that are driving us to destruction. God, we pray the prayer that David prayed. God, search our hearts. God, see if there's anything that's not pleasing to you. Right where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me?
And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Maybe you're in here and you realize, man, it's not my marriage or my money or my kids that I haven't fully trusted God. It's my entire life. I've never actually given God control of my life. Maybe you believe in Jesus, but you're still controlling things. Maybe you're in here and you're like, Pastor, to be honest with you, I don't even really believe in Jesus. What does that mean to believe in Jesus? It means that you're willing to take the step of, hey, I am too weak to be able to make every decision in perfection and to be able to save myself. And God, I put my hope, I put my trust, I put my faith in you. If you're in here and you say, Pastor, I've never done that, but I want to. I want to surrender. I want to give God full control. I'm not going to have you stand up or come up front, but right where you're sitting, can you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for not giving up on me. Today, I surrender. I give you full control. Thank you for dying on the cross so that every sin, can be erased. Be my Lord and my Savior and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church, can you celebrate for every single person? Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.